It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olivia to DC, we break down. Break it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. With your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Welcome back to the bottom line. News Radio 610 K1A. It is Thursday afternoon. The number is 547-1610 if you want to get involved. Also via email, 610K1A.com. Bottom line page. Your name, where you're listening, what you'd like to say. And we are also on Twitter as well. At bottom line 610. So a couple of things to throw at you. Uh, over the course in the last setup, um, just got an email from Brad in Kennewick. said, what would you say about a temporary halt on sales tax, gas tax, payroll tax? This is a way to keep more money in people's pockets than the state could recoup funds from the federal government to repay cities. Under state of emergency, certainly there is more um, access to federal monies. It's an interesting thought. I think, and, and I've seen a lot of stuff on social media, people complaining Particularly, again, I'm going to say it on the west side of the state, but because that is the hardest area, there are a lot of people complaining about the fact the governor is not doing a shelter in place in King County, particularly Seattle. And they're claiming the governor is putting corporate profits ahead of people's health. Well, one thing you got to keep in mind is the government still has to run. And they have put out some relief efforts for B&O taxes and so on and so forth, maybe not as far as some people would like to go, but they have tried to put some relief efforts out there keeping that in mind. I think maybe a reduction could be discussed, but I I don't know about a full-on halt because that money does trickle down as well. So if there was a cut to the gas tax, maybe a cut in the sales tax and a cut in the payroll tax, that would be helpful for businesses and consumers on a temporary basis. But I don't know if we could go into a complete and total shutdown because then you're talking about coming out of that and looking at a larger deficit to try and overcome, which could see a increase in those same taxes that we're looking to halt. One of the other things that I have heard, um, again, this isn't rumor. It's it's, but it's not set in stone. So you know, don't don't read too deep into it. This sure. is this is a discussion. And look, there's a lot of discussions going on right now without being, uh, you know, any finalized plans being made. But one of the things on that point, uh, some counties around the state uh, are looking at. Um, giving a grace period to property taxes. Uh, property taxes um, usually do end of April and what, end of October, I believe. Um, so those April 30th payments in some counties that they're discussing this could be pushed out a little bit, not reduced, not just forgiven, <laughs> you know, you'd still have to do it, but offering grace periods. Now, something like that is is good for those who are hopefully temporarily unemployed, but look to get back in to work once things start getting fairly back to norm- normal. Um, but it also, you know, from from a from a county standpoint that relies on those taxes to operate, and provide services, it pushes things out, but you, but they'll know that that money is going to come in eventually. It's not forgiven like a loan or, you know, whatever. But, you know, so, some counties are looking at that as a possibility to extend grace periods for a couple of months. But, uh, again, nothing has been determined 
uh, certainly around here. So I don't want people to get their hopes up too much. One of the things that uh, Governor Jay Inslee just did a short time ago, uh, and this probably won't come as a huge shock because um, some of the area hospitals had already enacted this, but uh, Governor Inslee has uh, put a statewide uh, moratorium, if you will, on elective surgeries, Um, basically effective immediately. Any elective or non-urgent medical and dental procedures uh, are going to be put on hold. It's not only about the the stem uh, stemming the tide of the coronavirus, but um, and this is something that we talked about uh, earlier with our our guest from Franklin Emergency Management, Sean Davis. This move, according to the governor's office, also uh, helps to make sure that healthcare workers have enough protective gear at their disposal during the pandemic. So if less protective gear is being used for elective and non-urgent medical and dental procedures, maybe it's available for the really serious stuff. Um, There are uh, a few exceptions to that rule. Doctors can perform an elective surgery if delaying that surgery would cause harm to the patient within the next three months, for example. So that was something that uh, that came out of Olympia a short time ago. Then there was the shocker that came out of Olympia, Rob. Yeah, this one was was I think it would have been unexpected at just about any time, uh, but particularly in this. And that is that Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib has officially announced he will not seek reelection. That, that, he, that was that was that was the first layer. That was the first layer. He will not seek re-election. He is stepping away from politics altogether. That's the, that's the second layer because a lot of people thought he might have a line to the governor mansion, right? Ab- absolutely, or maybe thinking of a of a uh, Senate or or Something. Congress seat, some other step up. But he is not retiring from public service. He has decided that he is going to become a member of the Roman Catholic Church through the Jesuit order. Yes. And he is going to enroll in the seminary to become a priest in the Jesuit order. That that part of it probably could have knocked a lot of people over with a feather. A feather? <laughs> a molecule. A molecule. <laughs> I mean, we don't we, look. No, he, I don't want to. I want to say this right now. No offense to the many wonderful politicians that are out there, many of the wonderful legislators and leaders that that, that have served over the over the years. The last thing you expect to hear is that a politician is becoming a priest. Yeah, exactly. Now, this was this was a little bit of an unusual announcement. There wasn't any news conference. There wasn't even any press release. Uh, sent out about this. This actually uh, came in the form of a an article that Lieutenant Governor Habib wrote that was released online uh, at American Ma- or AmericaMagazine.org in their faith section. And in it, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but in it, uh, he said that this was something that he had been thinking about for a couple of years, and that he felt like this was a calling for him. 
In fact, uh, one of the quotes says, I have felt a calling to dedicate my life in a more direct and personal way to serving the marginalized, empowering the vulnerable, and healing those who suffer from spiritual wounds, as, as part of his quote. I mean... This is a tremendous thing. I mean, this is I mean, this is a really tremendous thing and it's look, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's a democrat. No. Any not at all. anybody who who you just don't see people who serve the public, politics and religion, right? They're the two they're the two kind of you know, big entities out there. And so it's 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 a fascinating it's a fascinating um announcement and and we reached out to his office and you can imagine he's he's been his office has been inundated for uh, requests for interviews but think about this it just, just put this into perspective just for a moment he was first elected as a state representative in 2012 okay 8 years ago was elected as a state representative. Two years later, just after one term in the House, he's elected as the state senator. He's from Bellevue, by the way. Yeah. So that happened in 2014. Two years after that, he was named the lieutenant governor, which he has so in 2016. So he has served four years in that capacity. It's quite the meteoric rise politically, if you think about it, in the span of in the span of eight years, he was a, a state representative, a state senator, then lieutenant governor. Boom, boom, boom. And like I mentioned earlier, he uh, many felt that he had a very strong pathway to the governor's mansion. Uh, one, because he's a Democrat, two, because he's currently the lieutenant governor. And, you know, and again, part of that meteoric rise in politics that he that he has uh, that he has has uh, accomplished so far. Um, anybody who uh, follows state politics or, you know, has, has watched TVW, any of the Senate proceedings, he is the president of the Senate. Yeah, that comes. That's part of the duties of the of the lieutenant governor uh, knows that he is blind. When he was, um, I believe, eight years old, he suffered from cancer, eye cancer, and lost his vision when he was eight. So his parents um, are of Iranian descent. So (laughs) I I chuckle because he says that he knows very well um about being excluded for being a blind kid from an Iranian family and he's tried to use that power uh to empower others and which led him into into politics and now the the uh into into his path towards becoming a Jesuit priest i find it fascinating i i really do um, and, and I gotta tell you, I have, I, I, I'm looking at him in a completely different way now. Five, four, seven, one, six, 10 is the number five, oh, nine, five, four, seven, one, six, 10 here on the bottom line. Yeah. It's certainly an interesting announcement and, you know, wishing the best of luck. I mean, look, there's a lot of people it's, it, it is, 
one of the things that we have seen over the decades is that is one line of service where the participation continues to decline yes. rapidly. Yes. And so to make that decision, certainly a very difficult one. Um, I would go so far as to say a noble one. And if if he has, you know, believes that he has had an epiphany and that is the direction he feels he needs to go to serve, then I, I wish him the best. I, I, I wish him the best of luck. And, and hopefully he winds up a, achieving what he wants to achieve and making this move. You're up at the bottom line. News Radio 610 K1A. Your name, where are you calling from? Well, this is Rick, and calling from Prosser, I probably talked to you a little while ago, and and I just want to make sure that uh, people out there understand that uh, they have been tapping all of the small businesses for uh, uh, stuff for their fundraisers, and now it's time for everybody to step up and help the small businesses. You're absolutely right, Rick. We, we, we discussed it about a half hour ago. Thanks for reiterating it. You're absolutely right. It is time for those to remember those who are vital parts of our community, and it begins with our small businesses. We come back. We try, we're trying every day to give you a piece of good news regarding of all this. And we've got some good news for you when we come back, at least some some potential good news about some other treatments that are being looked at with the coronavirus. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Robin Ed hanging with you this Thursday afternoon. Going right to the phones. 547-1610 is the number. You're up. What's your name? Where are you calling from today, sir? Hey guys, this is Don with Henry's Restaurant. How are you, Don? How you doing? Good. Hey, How are you, sir? Great. I'm doing great. Um, hey, the restaurant industry, a lot of my peers donate a lot of stuff as time goes on to the community. But I'm looking forward on the end of this, when this is done, and hopefully it's going to be the two to three weeks that we hope. But the general public's going to have a real opportunity with everything they've bought in the last week or more to donate back to, like, Second Harvest, to the food bank, to Meals on Wheels. They know a lot of people are going to end up with a lot of product that they don't know what to do with. No, you know, Don, that's a great point, and we appreciate you bringing it up because there are a lot of people that are stocking up right now on some things, and, you know, they may find that when this all does come to an end, which it will, um, that they do have extras around, and those are all fantastic organizations to turn around and pay it forward when it's all said and done to make sure that those food banks and those shelves are stocked and the Second Harvest can continue their mission. So appreciate you bringing that up, Don. 547-1610, 509-547-1610. 547-1610, 509-547-1610, if uh, you'd like to join the conversation. Uh, coming up in uh, just about five, six minutes, uh, we'll have a, a special interview uh, for everyone uh, with B.J. Olson from Emmaus Counseling Center to uh, to talk about some of the things that uh, not only services that are out there, as well as uh, you know, just a, just an overall sense of what 
uh, you know, what people are are saying and doing. Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from today? Oh, they didn't want to hold. 547-1610-509-547-1610. Before we go to break, I want to mention this. The president announced earlier today the FDA is making some experimental drugs to help deal with coronavirus outbreak, including those that are used for treating malaria. Now, I read about this a little bit earlier this week that they are finding that some ingredients in the drugs used to treat malaria are having an impact uh, on the coronavirus. One of those drugs particularly is chlorinique, and that it's showing encouraging early results. Well, on the heels of that announcement, the Bayer Corporation has said that they are joining the U.S. government's fight against COVID-19 with a donation of 3 million tablets of Resochin, which is a chlorinique phosphate. And even though they admitted that while limited, it does show potential in treating patients with the COVID-19 infection. So, again, the National Defense Act put into place, allowing the private industry to get involved and help speed up this process. We're seeing already Bayer stepping up and private industry, again, working with the federal government in an attempt to to try and halt the surge of this as much as possible. We've seen other private industries step up and help with manufacturing of tests, of equipment, and try to get that out there. And also, for those people asking the question, well, what about China? There is legislation that has been introduced at the federal level to help reduce our reliance upon China for pharmaceuticals. And it is a bill that's been uh, proposed by GOP senators, but something I saw earlier, Senator Chris Coons from Delaware, who is a Democrat, is on board with this because he's seeing it in his own state, how much of an impact the over-reliance on China for pharmaceuticals is having on potential supply. Even his own governor talked to him about this. So I think this is something that by that we can see bipartisan agreement on that can get done at the federal level relatively quickly to encourage American manufacturers to, again, make significant pharmaceutical drugs that we rely on China for. Interesting. Positive news. in Look, and that's what we're looking for. In, in, we can give you the data. We can give you the numbers. And, and we can put all that out there. But the positive steps being taken as well, we need to make sure that we share those as well. We need to make sure that there's a focus on sharing those as well. Because what we're all looking for is a light at the end of this tunnel. It's there. It, it, we, everybody may have a different opinion on how far away the light is, or but the light's it, there. Or whether or not it's a train, which oh, we hope yeah, is yeah, not the you case. Know, hopefully it's a train of chlorinique running <laughs> over the COVID-19 virus. <laughs> that could be. But, we're, we're, you know, the actions over the course of the last few weeks by the federal government have done more to speed up the potential, the, the dealing with this, and hopefully a potential halt sooner than later to what we're seeing. All we can do is cross our fingers. But now we've got public and private working hand in hand to try and deal with this. Let's hope it comes to, that all of this hard work comes to fruition and that we wind up seeing that bell curve that last hour Sean Davis with Franklin County Emergency Management mentioned. Hopefully we start seeing a faster movement on that bell curve with all of these people working together at the highest levels to get stuff done. More of the bottom line when we come back. 
speak your piece. Call 509-547-1610. More of The Bottom Line, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, 547-1610 number if you want to get involved. We're going to put that on hold for a few minutes. Is joining us on the line from the Emmaus Counseling Center, B.J. Olson. Good afternoon to you, B.J. Appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's talk a little bit because we know that there's a, there's been a huge focus, B.J., on, on everyone's physical safety and everyone's physical health. But a lot of people are asked being asked to do things that really aren't maybe necessarily normal for them or normal for us as social creatures. So the the mental health aspect of this, of, of self-isolation, of trying to uh, really change the way we normally behave, are you seeing a, a, a larger strain being put on the community through this? Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I want to say that, you know, first of all, there's things that are healthy to be afraid of. And so as Mental health providers, we recognize that fear is actually helpful in some ways, and there's certainly steps that you can take to, you know, reduce your risks and whatnot, and clearly those have all been stated by the CDC and um, other sources and whatnot. You know, for example, if you're elderly or if you are in an uh, immune-compromised situation, you know, stay home. You know, that that is a good thing to do that, and so there's... A healthy concern, but I also see a lot of, um, I would say, um, unhealthy fear. And, and usually, when people experience that sort of unhealthy fear, it leads to um, extreme actions. You know, and, and certainly we've seen that in in the last couple weeks. And and so, my encouragement to people is just to really focus in on, you know take inappropriate cautions, and um, I'm glad you're talking about reducing the curve. That's, that's a good thing. It reduces the stress on our uh, health care system. It gives us more time to figure out some treatments and, and possible vaccinations and whatnot, so that's all good. Um, but at the same time, um, let's, uh, let's not be so afraid of things that we're treating each other poorly and, and going to extreme actions, you know. No, and certainly that's important as well because we have seen instances where, you know, particularly with the amount of, um, I guess hoarding is the right word, uh, certain products and so on and so forth, the people have certainly displayed some unfriendliness towards each other and attempting to get as much of those things as possible. Um, But as we turn around and we look at some of the things, again, that we're being asked to do, what are some things that people can do? In situations like this where, you know, say they're used to going out to dinner a lot, they can't do that. You know, yes, they can go curbside and pick it up, but then you're bringing it right back home. What are some things to to help the the mental stability of people in a, in a situation like this where you know that you're going to be limited in your movement for, a, for an extended period of time potentially? Absolutely. You know, I think um, one of the things that I've been thinking about the last couple of days is, looking for open doors. Um, there's so many doors right now that are closing on us in, in, in all kinds of different ways. Looking for open doors, looking for opportunities to reach out to somebody. Um, you know, uh, just because you can't visit somebody face-to-face doesn't mean that you can't, like, pick up the phone and, and give them a call, for example. I mean, uh, what a, what a uh, 
awesome opportunity to reach out and connect to family members. And, and I think the more that we focus in on um, being connected, um, the, the better off that we're going to be. I think the feeling of isolation sort of compounds our own fears and anxieties about what's going on. And so reach out, talk to people. Um, if you have um, elderly uh, friends or neighbors, you know, feel free to give them a call and see how they're doing. Check in on them and that sort of thing. One of the things that um, uh, our church is doing is being able to um, reach out to uh, the church members. And so, you know, being and praying with them, that, that sort of thing. That, all those things are really good in terms of connecting with one another. Love is key, though, I think. Um, when we show compassion, when we show care and concern for one another, as human beings, we are at our best, and um, that fear then it doesn't have a, a, a root in our hearts and, and the way that we live out. So, just showing love and compassion—I think that's really, really important, especially under under stressful times. You know, we're talking with B.J. Olson with the Emmaus Counseling Center here on the Bottom Line this afternoon, News Radio six ten K O N A. Now, Mr. Olson, um, obviously from the Emmaus Counseling Center perspective. Um, it's it's one thing. I imagine you're you're getting a number of calls. Kind of taking a bigger picture approach to it, um, we talk about the strain that's being put on hospitals, uh, the healthcare sector, as as we should. Are you concerned about the excessive pressure put on the counseling sector in the area? Well, I think one of the challenges that. that we run into in the mental health field is particularly as they start to limit interactions and whatnot is how do we reach out to people? How do we connect with people uh, in a meaningful way? One of the things that Emmaus has done is we've stepped up our game in terms of telemedicine and so we're able to reach out to people via a secure video chat and um, uh, still have our counseling sessions. Um, even when people are not able to come in and, and visit with us. And so that's, that's a technology that maybe, you know, 10 years ago uh, that wasn't possible. So, like, what an incredible opportunity for us to reach out and, and help people out. Um, I think also um, in terms of uh, any uh, health clinic and whatnot, there's always a concern about, you know, social distancing and waiting rooms and whatnot. And, appropriate caution. So I see a lot of that. But I would say probably the biggest thing is the just general background of anxiety that people feel. Um, it's it's an anxious time. And, and so um, I think we've certainly seen that. And anybody that maybe struggles with anxiety already, um, this whole COVID-19 has increased that for many, many people. And so we want to be able to uh, reach out to those people and encourage them and say, you know, we can get through this together as a, as a culture, as a society. We will um, overcome uh, this uh, disease and, and ultimately we'll be better for it. You know, I think there's going to be some opportunities for open doors. I really liked what Rob said about um, looking at this through the lens of, you know, what are some good things out there that we can celebrate that are happening? Um, you know, things that maybe have been closed off as a, as a society for a long time. It seems like part of it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, part of it is the fear of the unknown. We, we Many people 
alive today during this have not experienced something uh, like this. So the fear of the unknown is one aspect. The other is uh, feeling kind of helpless in that, whether it's for your own health and safety, but this isn't something that can be easily fixed. Is is that a fair assumption? Sure. I mean, like any virus is an, an invisible enemy, isn't it? I mean, like, and and the hard thing, I think, is that when we look at other people, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience. Somebody coughs, and you're like, oh, is that COVID-19, you know? And, and all of a sudden now you're paranoid about this other person who's just coughed. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of that, that, that unknown, don't know what's going on. It's an invisible enemy. And so then it, I think it's easy to then target those fears, those suspicions on one another. And it's easy to slip into that. And so we need to really fight against that kind of mentality and, and try to come together on all this. Now we're talking with B.J. Olson from Emmaus Counseling Center here on The Bottom Line. You know, and again, BJ, we appreciate your time this afternoon for joining us. So for those people that are looking for outreach, for those people that are looking to just simply talk to somebody that certainly, you know, you mentioned um, <clears throat> using a little bit more telemedicine, using that ability to, to talk to somebody over a secure chat. Uh, how can they contact Emmaus Counseling Center and, you know, look for ways to keep their mental health on par with their physical health? Sure, a couple ways that you can get a hold of us at the EmmausCounseling.org. And then also um, you can reach us on our Facebook page. There's um, uh, a post there that talks about the online counseling, and you can uh, click on that, and, and it'll show you how to get in touch with us. Now, BJ, before we wrap up, is there anything we didn't touch on that you think um, that the community should be aware of in this time? Well, I think, uh, I, as I said earlier, it's important to recognize that there's a healthy concern um, for what's going on. And so, you know, don't don't take the extreme like, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, I think there's that, that voice out there. But also, um, I think not go to the other extreme where, you know, there's an uh, uh, enemy under every rock, and so ultimately, let's let's love on each other, let's show compassion to one another, and um, we'll get through this. BJ Olson with the Emmaus Counseling Center, we appreciate your time this afternoon, sir. Thank you, and uh, stay healthy. Thank you. Going to take another quick time out here on the Bottom Line News Radio six ten K O N A. Thanks again to BJ Olson from the Emmaus Counseling Center for joining us and. You know, I think it's it's one of the things in all of this that we need to be aware of, and that is we've got a we, the the human body, the human condition is multifaceted. It's not just one aspect we need to pay attention to; it's multiple aspects. Back with more after this. The bottom line: the only place that cares what you think. Call in now, 509-547-1610. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA, 547-1610. If you have any final thoughts, you can also hit us up via email at 610kona.com. Bottom line page, your name, where you're listening, what you'd like to say, and... We're on Twitter as well at Bottom Line 610. Want to also make people aware that uh, right now the Red Cross is struggling a bit. They could use some blood donations because, you know, let's face it, in any time of, of emergency, the Red Cross is relied upon. Um, 
they are in severe need, need of blood. And, of course, there is there has been discussion uh, that plasma has been used or there's been some some discussion of plasma being used potentially as a treatment uh, for COVID-19. Now, again, that's not something we're putting out there as factual information. It's something that's been circulating and different different stories have been written about the possible potential of plasma as a uh, a treatment. So uh, if you have the ability to donate to the Red Cross, uh, certainly take all precautions in doing so, but we encourage you to donate blood if you have the ability to do so. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that shortage on the program, hopefully next week, with a representative from the Red Cross. Uh, as again, we, we, we've changed things up a little bit here as well because look we're not kind of operating as normal we're trying to find as many ways as we can to bring you not just pertinent information about what's going on but also need and needs in the community that are out there so um you know one of the things that has just come across uh is that the washington health department or the department of health has just put out a press release that 8,000 additional COVID-19 test cases are, or test kits are in the city, or in the state, excuse me. Um, 8,000 additional sample collection kits came in today, along with supplies of protective equipment needed to conduct the test. So there's positives. There are positives coming out here. We just have to be ready to weather. And, you know, again, we come back to, you know, what should you be doing in a situation like this? Well, the Ben Franklin Health District, along with the area hospitals, have put out a statement. And basically they're saying, look, the current priority for testing is people who are most at risk and those suffering the most severe symptoms of COVID-19, unless you're a member of the New York, New Jersey Nets. Oh, I'm sorry. Brooklyn, did, by the way. Did Brooklyn Nets, yeah, the former New Jersey Nets, now the Brooklyn Nets. Unless you remember the Brooklyn Nets or, you know, uh, we're not going to go down that road, but, it's yeah, it is a little infuriating. Um, they also put out a summary of how the testing works. If you're experiencing respiratory illness problems, call your provider to determine if the test is required and whether you should be tested for COVID-19 or the flu or pneumonia. Only medical providers can order the test. We can't stress this enough. Only medical providers. The health district cannot order the test. They're not administering tests. Only your medical provider can order a test. You can't just walk into a lab and say, test me. Your medical provider has got to order the test. If flu or other infections are ruled out, providers can then go to a coronavirus test. A specimen will be collected. It will be sent to a state public health or an FDA-approved lab. The testing lab will send the results to the medical provider and the state Department of Health. Then the provider or clinical staff will let the patient know what the results are when they come back. DOH reports the results to the Benton Franklin Health District through an online reporting system, and then they notify the public, positive or negative, and follows tracing of positive cases for people they may have come in contact with. 8,000 more tests are now in the state. It's still not going to be enough. We've got 7 million people in the state. We know they continue to update testing. All we can do, because getting angry about it isn't going to get you another test. Getting angry about it isn't going to get more tests. 
More tests are going to come when more tests are available. All we can do is have faith that we're going to get around this curve, which we will, have faith that the people that need the tests are going to get the tests, and that those people that are experiencing and showing symptoms are going to be able to get treatment. If you're sneezing, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be tested. If you're wheezing, you might need to be tested. We've said this before, and this is and this is one of the more difficult and frustrating parts, is that there is not a singular or even a singular set of of symptoms that go along with the coronavirus. Many of the symptoms uh, simulate a flu with additional like breathing difficulties and and some things like that. And so, and and that's part of it too. If it was, uh, you know, cut and dry, if you have A, B, and C, then you need to be tested. Well, when A, B, and C could also fall into other illnesses, right? That's, that's where, that's where I think some of the issue, some of the anxiety, some of the uncertainty fall into the situation. We, uh, the old, here's the only thing I'm going to throw out. We we have to look at history a little bit, in order to be able to kind of get a get a scope on where we were. All right, a lot of people have talked about H1N1 in 2009. What a lot of people may not remember is that H1N1 first hit in 1918. Yeah, and it was called the Great Influenza Pandemic 1918. Okay. Many, I mean, hundreds, of, more people died in 1918 than died in World War One of that influenza pandemic. People dedicated their lives to trying to determine and, and get, get samples of that strain. In fact, a guy worked for 47 years to find a strain from people who had passed away from it. That research helped prepare us for 2009 when it came back. We haven't been here before. We haven't been here before. So when we're done and we're through, look, when we're done and we're through, we're going to be better served for this, and we're going to be prepared if it comes back again. The first time is always the hardest time, but we got to have faith that we're going to get through it and believe we're going to get through it. And even if we don't like the people in charge, we still got to have faith they're going to do the best thing by us. And then wait and see how everything plays out. That's all for the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. Don't go anywhere. We've got all your latest news and weather and more on the Afternoon Report. 